Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 89 with my friend, Victoria Capek. I was so excited that uh, Victoria responded to me and told me she would be interested in being on the show. Uh, this is one of the three people that I have uh, talked to now from TikTok, which is still a funny sentence to say. You know, uh, the other two that were already on the show, one of them, Jenny Helms, who was on uh, what every every month for the entirety of season two, and now we have Victoria Capek, uh, Capek. I will say that wrong over and over again. Uh, who is a news reporter from Little Little Rock, Arkansas, and discusses her time coming up um, in the South and coming out at twenty two as queer and what that effect has had on her career and as a public figure. And we really dive into a bunch of really great topics. This turned out to be a, an excellent interview, and I was so excited to to do it. And I'm excited even more so to share it with all of you guys. So without further ado, this is my friend, Victoria Capek. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my yeah, all that said, uh, thank you for doing this and being here. I, I So I typically start out with how I know people. I don't know you. Um, I know you purely from TikTok in 2020, because then I was engulfed in it so much and spending so much time just like flipping through video after video. Uh, I was like, I need to get away from this for a little while. And I, I was looking at it. I didn't go on for the entirety of last year. Uh, and then I, I got it, I think, well, I guess not the entirety, that last week in December, I, I downloaded it again and got back on there. And, um, there were a few familiar faces from 2020, you being one of them. And I saw you were leaving your job, which like that whole surrounding, and we'll get into that is, is why I started following you initially. Cause like, what a curious thing to see behind the scenes at, at the news station and, and that sort of thing. And on top of that, um, having an anchor spot at your age was intriguing too. And so I, I want to go down those roads, but, uh, before I do any of that, um, I want to kind of go back in time. Cause I don't know anything about you. Are you, where are you originally from? Yeah, I'm originally from uh, Lawrenceville, Georgia, which is a small Northeastern Atlanta suburb. It's about 30 minutes outside of Atlanta. Okay. Southern. <laughs> um, and do you Southern? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, any siblings? I have a half brother. Uh, he is 11 years older than me and okay. we are a little estranged right now. So I kind of, I, I have the only child kind of vibe going on, but he is lurking in the shadows every once in a while. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, half brother and 11 years. I imagine you didn't see a bunch of him growing up anyway. No. Yeah. And, and by the time I was like a real person, he was, you know, already getting married and having kids and everything too. Yeah. So what a grown up in Georgia. What do your mom and dad do when you're grown up? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, all I can remember is, uh, so my parents have been divorced since before I was born. What happened was they, uh, they had me or they conceived me, uh, they got married, they got divorced and then I was born. Um, but I am so grateful because I have always had both in the picture, even though, um, 
yeah, my mom had had primary custody. But um, for as long as I can remember, my mom had worked in sales. Uh, she jumped around to a few different sales jobs, um, working with like the crane industry and, and kind of like chains and stuff that you would like build stuff with. Okay. Um, and she always did inside sales with that. And then my dad, he kind of was the the jumper. He uh, he worked with like a pool cleaning business for a while. He worked for a distribution for Cintas. He was a very like he's a very like hands-on kind of guy. And then now for years, he's actually had his own landscaping business. Okay. Um, so he has uh, something called Seasons Yard Care that he still does in Georgia. Um, and he, yeah, can do anything for your agriculture and landscaping needs. I will keep that in mind when I'm in Yeah, I'm yes. up in Michigan, so I'm I'm very far away from that. Um, but yes, just a little bit. Yeah, no, there's there's listeners all over the country though. Um, I, that's funny that you, what your mom did because like you meet these people that sell these things that you never even think about, right? Like I, I have a friend that sells like the devices that are part of pacemakers. Like so, she has to go to doctors' offices and like. I don't know, I guess pimp herself out to be like, get right. this brand of, <laughs> of valves. And I'm like, who who comes up with this? Um, so yeah, that, that, right. such obscure things that need that need selling apparently. But that's, <laughs> so. They're there. What did, what did that look like? Well, first of all, what side is your brother from? Your mom or your dad? That's my mom's side. Yeah, so he has a different dad than I do. Gotcha. So was that your mom's second marriage? Um, I think think so honest to god i actually know so little about my family history uh, and that's something you know we could take a rabbit hole down is that um i am not super close with my family okay. i mean it's no problem i have no no yeah. issue talking about that at all because i know a lot of people out there face a lot of issues with that but um i know very little about my family history regarding anything prior to my birth. Right. So I, I, I think that my dad was my mom's first marriage. Okay. Um, and she has been married one other time since then. And now she is engaged as well. Um, and it was my dad's first marriage for sure. Um, unless he eloped without telling me, which is always a possibility. <laughs> um, and he got married one more time after that as well. So there's yeah. been parents you know, can get married without telling with yeah <laughs> my parents divorced when i was four and my dad moved to florida and like i said i'm in michigan so like other side of the country and then he married the lady he was dating but he didn't tell me and my brother like we found out we were like saw wedding photos when we went down to visit one year and we we're like wait a minute <laughs> this doesn't yeah this doesn't add this up this is a little yeah. strange yeah <laughs> halloween costume what's uh but that's yeah, it's funny how that works out. So you said your mom had primary custody. Your brother, your half brother, eleven years older. Um, I mean, what does that look like growing up? Do you see your dad? Is it like the traditional like every other weekend thing, or is it a? Yeah, yeah. I would uh, I would see my dad every other weekend and on Thursdays, and um, we had a really really good relationship for a while. Um, I feel like that's always the case that the parent that you don't end up getting to see ends up becoming the favorite parent, right? Yeah. Because you're like, Oh, dad is the fun one. You know, I get to go away and eat Chuck E. Cheese on a random Thursday night. That's so awesome. You know? for me. Yeah. I <laughs> Right. No, honestly, it, for us, it was, uh, he would make bowls of spaghetti and this is still the way I make spaghetti today. It would just be 
so much pasta. And instead of making like a fancy sauce, we would just pour the ragu in a bowl. We would put it in the microwave and pour it on top. Literally as simple as it could get. And that is still my favorite way to eat spaghetti today. Yeah. Um, but anyways, that to say, yeah, I, I saw him for a while. Um, when I was 13 is when he got married to his second wife. He actually ended up moving away to Pennsylvania for a few mm -hmm. years until I was about 16 years old. And that was kind of a really rough time as you know a, a you know i'm going through this teenage thing for the first time and for my um for for the fun parent to go away it was very much like oh man i feel like i'm losing my best friend yeah. but um it, it was kind of rocky getting back to it but i would say today uh i i'm closer with my dad than i am any other member of my family and so he's really always kind of fought to be there even when we had like a forceful distance i absolutely adore him for that too i i'm totally a daddy's girl um i'm, I'm wondering as you mentioned that because you're so you're publicly out uh and and i want to go down that uh road as well i'm gonna talk to you for like nine absolutely. hours is that fine um <laughs> i please but, i'm I, listen i'm unemployed i can talk for as long as you want oh, perfect <laughs> um but I, i'm just curious because i know myself speaking from my personal experience like you know, 11 to 14, I, I'm questioning everything. I, I don't, I don't know where I belong. And I grew up in the nineties, which like was a whole other thing. Like if you think any sort of way that that's just automatically associated with shame. And, um, mm -hmm. I'm wondering when your, your dad moves away at 13, I mean, what age do you start to discover that like, Oh, I, are, do you identify as gay? I identify as just queer okay. overarching is yeah. is what I can go for but I, you can call me gay lesbian I really don't care I'm just I am a member of the LGBT and yeah. that is that <laughs> so what what does that look like um I, I, like as far as age goes when you started to identify that way or at least you know personally maybe not publicly and was it right. in that time when you were like oh now he's gone and you're already kind of going through stuff just projecting going things. through it <laughs> no, no 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 for sure for sure so i didn't actually officially come out until i was 22 i was a really late bloomer when it came to that but i feel like you always have those moments uh, especially when you come out at a later age where you look back and you're like oh i just repressed <laughs> that like i totally yes. knew it was there i actually very distinctly remember uh, I think I was 14 um, for the first time, and I was really good friends with my quote-unquote first boyfriend, Levi, who was my unofficial first boyfriend, who is also very gay. Um, Levi is very out, so I, I feel comfortable saying that. But I really distinctly remember texting Levi one night when I was 14, and I was just like, what if it's possible that like I like boys and girls too, yeah. you know? And he was just kind of like, well, if that's something that you think is possible, then that's amazing. Like, that's who you are. And that's wonderful. I shut that down for like six years. That was literally one of those moments where I was like, that's a problem for a later me to deal with. Yeah. Right. Um, so during those years for me, um, I guess that was when I wasn't really actively, like consciously exploring me being gay or queer in any kind of means but it was definitely that formulative time of when I started growing these like really close relationships with um gal friends yeah. 
And you always hear stories of like um, women in the LGBT community too, who had these really strong relationships with girls who were their best friends growing up. And then they kind of have this like weird, aggressive falling out. And then they realize later on, like, oh, I might've had some feelings for that person and I didn't realize it. And that's why there was all these tensions. So while my dad moved away is when I started for the first time having these like really strong relationships with these like quote unquote, like girlfriends and I look back and I kind of wonder now you know was that my first experience of really having these like queer feelings and I didn't really one I didn't realize it and two I didn't really feel like I had a parent to talk to about it because even though my mom was there I've never been close with her and then my dad had moved away so it's not like i was going to bring that step up to him i guess if that makes sense yeah and it it seems like the timing would have worked the way you've spoken about your father so far is you kind of had almost like a friend relationship with him and so you're you're hitting this age where you're like discovering you know about yourself body sexuality whatever and then you're also Mm -hmm. like oh now i don't have this this friend that i had here and so you're probably looking for those close relationships at the same time right um, right. Yeah, that, I think sounds like a perfect storm of, of creating those for you. I definitely, um, I you know, not to like categorize myself, but I when I was fourteen, I definitely turned into one of those quote unquote like emo kids. Like I was, I was in a dark place. You know, I was I was dressing in the all black to express myself, and I was, I was the uh, I, I was the kid who got you know really really upset and down on myself, and, and kind of spiraled because of that. And I was in that period of time until. I would say like late into my sophomore year going into my junior year is when I was in that like really dark time. And it really is, like you said, it was a perfect storm of all these things that made me into that person that I kind of suppressed so much individuality in myself. It's funny. I I mean, I think we're like literally a generation apart, but it's, uh, (laughs) it's, it's so relatable. Like I was, I was heavy into like punk and, and the misfits and shit and just like, yeah. 13 to 16 and then about the end of my sophomore year like beginning of my junior year I was like I'm gonna do other stuff and open this like circle up of of all these right people oh my here. gosh the, the angst <laughs> is so real <laughs> truly um, <laughs> that's really funny I, I'm curious and I won't uh, obviously if I touch anything you don't want to talk about let me know and I'll just cut it out um, absolutely yeah but I'm curious because you've said it a couple times about not having a good relationship with your mom like what does that look like since she has primary custody and you're you're living with her most of the time your dad moves away at 13 like what is that relationship uh, when you're growing up like as a kid and adolescent yeah um, it is um, you know it I, I'm <laughs> I'm pretty open and positive about a lot of things that have happened in my life but if there was one thing that I still struggle with to this day it's my relationship with her and again I have no problem talking about it because I know so many people out there face this but um it hasn't gotten to the point where it got better I guess it's only gotten worse still um you know I'm 26 years old now and we're still struggling um but when I was 17 years old um, my mom actually kicked me out of the house and um there was a period of time for about two weeks that I was actually homeless. Um, I, my dad had moved back at that point, but it was a situation where, you know, I wasn't talking to him as much because he had just moved back. He had no idea that had happened to me because I had told him I was staying at 
ex-friend's house. I told ex-friend I was staying at ex-friend's house. You know, mom told me, go do whatever it is that, you know, Victoria's do. I don't give a shit. And I was in this place where I was like, I don't want to burden anyone, you know? But all the while, this is between my junior and senior year of high school. This is that summer. And I'm trying to figure out, shit, I'm about to go into my senior year. What do I do? Until finally, I had um, my best friend's family at the time. um, Their names are the Lipsies. I owe them my life because they were the ones who realized, no, girl, you are not going to be staying in your car. You're not going to go live with your dad two hours away and ruin your senior year of high school. We will set up a bedroom in our 13-year-old daughter's, or we will set up a bed in our 13-year-old daughter's bedroom. You can stay with us for as long as you need to. And they took me in. Like, they fully took me in as a child of their own. They fed me. They had gifts for me when I woke up Mm. on Christmas morning at their house. They... Saved my life during that time. Yeah. And for um, about nine months for pretty much all of my senior year of high school, I did not talk to my mom. Um, We went through a bit of a, a reconciliation after that for a while through college. And we were kind of, you know, up and down for a while. And then um, really here in the past two years during this whole COVID situation we've kind of had a falling out again unfortunately because um i don't know if you're aware of this but apparently covid and a public health issue is uh, also a political issue apparently yeah um and we've we've had a lot of really (laughs) big falling outs and so um it's been a really really rocky time with my mom and i think that that's why you know circling it back to my dad i'm all the more grateful for even though we've had points of distance he has been my biggest encourager and he has really stepped up to the plate to be there for me and support me in so many ways. And I could not be more thankful for him. That's awesome. That's really cool about the yeah. family too. Like, it's funny when you think back, uh, growing up and I don't know, I, I assume you can relate to this based on that story, but like, there are these specific families, you know, like I'm still, I'm 38 and I, uh, I still talk to some of my friends' moms and and dads that, like, I spent so much time at their house because I just, like, didn't like being home sometimes, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, like, I look at them to this day as as some sort of, like, secondary parent, and and I I really appreciate those families that that do that. (laughs) It's it's really great. Right. You're right. I mean, you know, God willing, if if they are okay with my sexuality, like, they will be at my wedding one day, you know? Like, that's what that kind of family dynamic is with them whenever I go home to Georgia I make an effort to see them um like I said I mean they really saved my life and Lipsies if you're out there listening to this always and forever I can never be more grateful and thank you for everything you did for me that's awesome uh and and yeah I I relate to the COVID divisiveness I uh I feel like I'm on an island in my in my family I just talked to my mother today and she's like vacationing in Florida because Michigan winters are terrible and she like rent a condo down there for a couple months and she's like you just got you know come on down just mask up i was like just get vaccinated lady like please for the love of god like i want to hang out with you but i am not going to if you're not going to get vaccinated and uh right uh anyway so what are outside of family and, and all that happening like what's what's going on as you're growing up as like in high school what are your interests what what moves you? What what motivates you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am the biggest like little theater loser you'll ever meet in your entire <laughs> life. I really am. My pride and joy 
my entire life has been performing. Like I, I was that kid that did theater all through high school. Um, I, I took acting classes starting when I was in, you know, seventh grade or whatever. Um, when I was in fifth and sixth grade, I was on a little, uh, Georgia PBS TV show. Um, I, I've, performed as long as I can remember. And that includes, uh, you know, just in the house trying to impress my, my cousins, right? Like it extends back that yeah. far. Um, but that is kind of what took over, you know, I did the, the typical, not to make myself a, a typical gay girl, but I did play softball for a few years. Um, I did uh, color guard a little bit as well. And I kind of bopped around to different sports, but my heart always found me back in the theater. And, um, that's kind of what has been my constant uh, all growing up. Just the arts in general is something that I have a really, really big soft spot for, whether it's, um, you know, ushering at a show, trying to perform in a show, um, stage management I did a little bit of in college. Um, even up until now, I'm on the board of directors for a local theater here in nice. Little Rock, and it's because that's always been something that I will – I'll make time for. And hey, if anyone ever wants to get me a gift, tickets to a play is your easiest bet. So is there something about like the the acting part of it or the singing part of it? Or was it just having the spotlight in general? For me, it's the overall feeling of it, I guess. It's not even just, it's not the spotlight. You know, I'll, I'll joke about being the center of attention literally always because I mean, Maybe it's the Virgo in me, or maybe it's the Enneagram four. You know, I'm always going to try and what? have that. That's Hold for on. Sure. You're a four too? Oh my God. I mean, you're a four? Fuck yeah. oh, okay, see, this is why this is already working so well. I oh, love it. Can but we talk I about how to, no like, one has ever felt the, the way that we feel individually? <laughs> um. oh, 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 honestly, yeah. So we're not, I'm going to have to one up you as a four now because us being the same, you know, that we can't oh have God. that happen. But, oh my God. Um, <laughs> So I can go into like all the personality things for sure. So but funny. no, back to the theater thing. It's, it's, it's always been a sense of community for me. And it's just the feeling of being able to, as a whole unit, um, performer, stage managers, um, backstage crew, producers, directors, audience, being able to have that moment where you are creating this thing that is unlike anything else in the world is the absolute most special and moving thing, at least to me. I, I just, it's so incredible. Live performance is so, I, it's just any, it's, it's unlike anything out there. And it's the way that you're able to tell a story on stage and in front of people is so different than the way anything else can tell a story. You know, you can look at words on a page and you can read a story and you can visualize it in that way, but it's not going to have the same impact as seeing a real living being bring that story to life in front of you in real time. And it be a different story to every person that is seeing it happen. I guess if that makes sense. Well, I'm curious. So I've just always had. No, Go I'm sorry. Ahead, sorry. I, well, I was just going to ask, based on how you described that as this this thing that's happening, this complete unique thing that's happening that kind of is only happening in that moment because of everybody involved. I uh, the thing that keeps popping into my head as you describe it that way is uh, improv shows, and and I'm wondering if you feel that way of, about that because that I think that's like this magical place to be in. Uh, like I saw, um, Middle Ditch and Schwartz. Do you know 
Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I saw them live and they like do their improv show and it's it's crazy because you're just literally experiencing this thing that no one else will ever experience this way again. And even if it if there's anything scripted, like it won't be done the exact same way ever again. And it's Oh goodness no. It's such a I feel unique like thing. The butt of every joke in like every TV show is please, for the love of God, don't join improv. That's like the lowest bottom of the totem pole. And I am sit here and I'm proudly going to admit, I've taken like seven to eight years of like improv classes. I led improv in high school. I did improv in college. I started an improv troupe and workshops at the local theater that I'm at here in Little Rock. Victoria, you're my hero. <laughs> I literally, improv is my favorite thing in the entire world. Like, I think it is absolute peak comedy, but you're so right. Like, you will never experience... I could go watch eight improv shows in one week, and I would laugh my ass off at all of them equally as hard, if not harder, by each one, because you're just never going to get the same yeah. thing. Um, it, it's my favorite thing in the world. And so also, good. like, improv performers, mad respect, because you are doing the impossible, getting up, and trying to be funny in front of people and also making sense of a situation that you're in that makes zero sense at all. Yeah. Like superheroes, modern day comedic superheroes. <laughs> yeah, it's so, God, it's so complex. I've, t- I've taken improv classes too and I love it. And if I would have done it like 10 years earlier, I might have like pursued it. <laughs> but um, it's, it's just uh, the, I'm trying to think of the word, but the, the intricacy of being there and knowing that your support for the other person on stage is going to make it better mm-hmm. um if that makes any sense but it does i guess if you know improv it makes sense but you're out of high school you where do you go to college uh university of north georgia yeah okay. little mountain town up in well northern georgia <laughs> <laughs> i assumed as much um what do you know <laughs> what do you uh end up doing there as far as your major and, and everything? I actually went into college as a criminal justice major with a concentration in forensic criminology. So hold on. That um, seems very far yeah. away from everything you've talked about so far. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of had, with me being in the situation that I was in prior to graduating high school, not living at home, living with, you know, a a, a friends and and her family, I was very unfortunately limited in where I felt I would be able to plug in for a college. So I went for the affordable option. I went for what I had available. And unfortunately, the school that I was going to, that specific campus, did not have theater available as a major. So uh, I kind of wound it back to what is something I've been good at and what is something I think I could be passionate about. And I said, forensics, you know, that's cool. I could totally be the head of the FBI one day. Like that is absolutely (laughs) the dream I'm just going to pursue now. Um, As wild as that sounds. And (laughs) and I did, right? So I I, I went into these criminal justice classes and uh, second semester of my freshman year, I had the same professor, uh, Timothy Hayes, for a class my first semester and my second semester. And I I think maybe a month into that second semester class, it was um, a technical writing for criminal justice class where we learned how to do police reports. And he pulled me after class one day and he was just like, what are you doing here? Like, what, what are you doing here? First of all, you don't even try and you're getting 100s on everything. You don't need to be in this class. 
Second of all, you don't give a shit about this. Like you <laughs> don't, like, I mean, you could write all day long. Why aren't you doing something that's more creative? And I said, well, Tim, I don't know. Why am I not? Help me, help me get onto a different path. Um, and long story short, that kind of very simply started me on the path of let's go over to communications, right? Like that's not going to be a really hard stretch. I can go to communications. Like every person who doesn't know what they want to do with their life goes into, <laughs> right? That's what we want to do. Um, switching to communications caused me to switch campuses from one to another. And when I switched from um, the main Dahlonega campus, which is where I was to uh, the Gainesville campus of my school, um, they actually had theater available as a major. Well, there you go. So I said, yeah. So I said, you know what? Maybe this is my chance. Let's just, let's give it a go. So I ended up adding on uh, communications, organizational leadership as a major. And then I did theater as a second major as well. Okay. I very quickly realized, (laughs) yes, yes. I I was trying. I was just, you know, if we're going to do it, we're going to go full force. Um, I very quickly realized that I was not as all in with the performance aspect of things as I was two years prior when I was in high school and my whole life surrounded theater. I mean, these kids in this theater program that I was in were good. You know, they kids in college theater are are better than what you see at your your average high school where everyone is a superstar. Right. And um that kind of left me in a place of, I was, I still love it, but, uh, what, what do I do from here? What is similar? What is a way that I can tell stories to people? And lo and behold, I discovered the, uh, the realm of journalism and figuring out that journalism is honestly the exact same thing as theater, except you're not performing on a stage and you're telling real people's stories. Yeah. So it could be so much more impactful. Um, you still get to create and that a was persona. Kind of a roundabout way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. No, I, I, I kind of found a really roundabout way of getting to what I ended up finding, which was broadcast journalism. Uh, I dropped my major down to a minor in theater and I ended up just pursuing this broadcast journalism degree full force into knowing that this is the way I'm going to be able to tell stories. So sorry, that was a long winded answer. <laughs> um, I, I'm curious outside of like academics and majors, what, what's college like being out of that environment that you grew up in being away from mom and dad living on your own? What, what kind of experiences releases, like what, what did you, what was it like to be out on your own and have that freedom uh, you're shaking your head. <laughs> um, I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking back and I'm like, Oh God, I mean, I'm an open book, but I have to maintain some kind of credibility, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't no, need to, yeah, no, I, I mean, to go through each I bar had, night one by one. I want to know what they're like. No, I, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, a story for a different time, Justin, <laughs> off the record. Um, but no, 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 I was a very good I don't want to say sheltered, but I was just a very like straight edge kid when I was in high school, despite all these things that happened to me. I really kind of like 
stayed on the rocker impressively well because I feel like there's a situation in which there could be kids who are getting kicked out of their houses and we see it all the time people go off the rails and it's not because of maybe who they are but it's because of the shitty hand they were dealt right yeah, and coping mechanisms and, I, and there's exactly exactly there. and I'm so 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 lucky that this family that took me in was such a good family and they continue to support me and my dreams and and whatnot. And so when I went to college, you know, I was very much like the, I'm going to set up and have a, a Bible study every week, even if no one comes to it. Like very, I, I was also pretty religious when I was oh my in God, high We're going to go back and dive into I, that in a minute. Yeah. So we can, we can <laughs> dive into that. Yes. Yes. Um, so I was the girl who, you know, was trying to host these Bible studies and I was on the honors program, I was in the honors hall. I was, you know, taking 18 credit hours. I was working a job. Like I was very like, I didn't have time to go off the rails until I did like a little bit. <laughs> um, and I, it didn't take very long for me to finally start asking questions. Um, it was my second semester of college when I finally, I was taking a psychology class, a sociology class and an anthropology class at the same time. No, no, no. It was, it was sociology, philosophy and anthropology at the same time. And that really, okay. That effed with my head a little bit. I'm yeah. just going to say, um, <laughs> so I, I really just started kind of, uh, you know, doing the free thinking thing and asking myself, you know, Victoria, you're 19 years old now. What do you believe? What is it that you want to stand for? And when I finally started opening that up a little bit is when I finally started making new friends and um, being a little less, how you say, prudish about certain situations when it came to hanging out with people or going to parties or, you know, doing the things that college kids do. Yeah. Um, I never went fully off the rails. Um but I will say at one point, I had friends tell me that I am the most irresponsible, responsible person that they have <laughs> ever met because I did a very good job of having fun and maybe being a little crazy, but then I would be able to turn it around the next day yeah. and ace a test because I knew it was necessary to keep an A in a class. Yeah. Um, don't fail. Don't so get arrested. Was, you're good. <laughs> exactly. Like, don't yeah. screw up too bad, but like, go have fun. You're yeah. still 19, 20 years old, you know? Yeah. So what, so I, that was I, rewinding, <laughs> what is, cause that's, I, I talk about like religion is a buzzword on the show because I didn't grow up that way. And it's always very fascinating to uh -huh. me. Um, people mm -hmm. that did or, or do still, you know, live their lives in, in a way where it's like Jesus is sitting at their dining room table. and like, that's, can we talk? Um, and so I'm curious, like, what role did that play growing up? And Right. Dry January marches on, guys. And I am here to once again tell you about the deliciousness that is Wellbeing Brewing Company. I am looking right now at their Oatmeal Cookie Stout, which is a limited edition beer that they have out right now. During dry January, you can go check it out as well as all of their other delicious brews. My personal favorite, of course, being the Intentional IPA, a nice big 16-ounce can. But while you're there, use code FRIENDREQUEST and you will save 10% on your order. 
tell me what you think. I think it's delicious. I would love to hear from you guys, and I hope you are participating in successfully surthriving in dry January. All right, back to the episode. And I mean, now looking at it now, what 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 changed, and how do you view it? Right, where am I kind of standing with that? Um, so I was raised in a Catholic family. Um, I, I say you can't see air quotes on a, <laughs> on a podcast. You can see the air quotes, but no one else. I'm making a yeah. quote unquote Catholic family. Yeah, yeah. I actually did have a very Catholic family. Like they did the whole like communion and like you, there's like a dress that you make when you're a girl. I don't even know what the terminology is, yeah, but by the time get... they got to me, yeah. right. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. But by the time they got to me, they were like, oh, we're tired. We don't want to do this anymore. Like <laughs> we're going to be like Ash Wednesday and Christmas Catholics. And like, Hopefully she turns out okay. Yeah, that's basically what it was. Um, when I was 14 years old, um, I got invited to a Baptist church for the very first time with a friend who I was staying at her house. And it was like, a oh, by the way, we're going to church in the morning kind of situation. Yeah. And I said, okay, cool. I mean, that sounds fun. I'm with a friend. I have a friend, so I'm not going to turn them down. Because, you know, prior to that, it was like a, a no friends kind of situation. Yeah. So I go to um, this church where this church is actually where I later end up meeting that family that took me in. Hmm. And basically all of high school, it was this journey of going to several church camps over the summer. I would go to youth group. By 11th grade, I was at the church four days a week because I was in youth band. I was in... Uh, our leadership teams. I was, you know, doing X, Y, and Z at the church. And then I would, of course, just attend on Sundays from like five in the morning until one in the afternoon, which wow. is a little bit ridiculous now <laughs> thinking back to it. But I was just very, very, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old girl living in Bible Belt, Georgia, who was on fire for God because everyone else around me was like, that was that kind of situation. I say that. And I don't speak ill of that time in my life because honest to God, I do attest that to the reason that I was so okay during that whole time where yeah. I was going through chaos with my family and getting kicked out, you know, this belief that I had in God and, and the grasp that he had on me and him taking care of me is what made me say, you know what, I'm going to get through this yeah. and it's going to be okay. Which is interesting because that, I feel like that yeah. could, you know, going through a, a shitty time, it could easily flip that into be like, you know, he's not looking out for me and like, you know, it turns into a blame situation, uh, which could totally right. reverse that. Um, so. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I like I, I mean, and I'll say it again, I feel so lucky for, I guess, the response that I did have yeah. to my situation, um, because it 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 could have been a, you know, why would a God that loves us so much do that kind of situation? Um, now, all that said, you know, I, I mentioned taking this philosophy, sociology, anthropology class at, all at the same time, uh, my second semester, first year in college. And um, I, I did change my thinking, you know, I started questioning saying, you know, 
I just don't understand how um, a God could be someone who condemns LGBT people or someone who says, you know, you're going to go to hell just because you think that the world is created differently than we do, or you just don't even know that this God exists. And I've gone through really since then. Um, I didn't find a home church until 2020 when I moved to Arkansas, because I just went through this whole situation of what do I believe? What am I thinking? You know, I don't know if I believe this, but I know what I want to be is the least hateful person that I could possibly be. It's a good goal. I just want to love as many people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I just want to do good. I want to be happy and I want to make other people happy. And I really don't care what comes along with that. Yeah. Um, I'll circle it back around to 2020. I moved to Arkansas and I'm back in the Bible Belt again because yeah, I, I, I did actually go from Georgia to Minnesota back down to Arkansas. So okay. I kind of bounced around and being back in Arkansas, I connected with people who, you know, their life once again is church. It's surrounded by that whole situation. And I ended up finding a home church here for about five or six months. Um, and I was having what I thought was a great time. I was like, you know what, this is it. I do definitely believe in a higher power and this is connecting me back to God. But then I found out that that church didn't allow people in the LGBTQ community to lead. And I said, that was enough. That was, that was enough for me to say, you know what, maybe this is not the thing for me. Yeah. And um, I will never condemn someone for the things that they believe because the things we believe is what gets us through this world. And it's what keeps us going. And I love that for people as long as they're using it to project them into their best selves and make their best selves supporters of other people's best selves, no matter what it is. I have just decided that although I do believe in a higher power and spirituality in the world, I don't necessarily believe in the um, whole Christian kind of religion and the way it's been built around um, in modern centuries. Yeah. And that's not something I want to support as long as it's being hateful to groups that are already being marginalized. So that is where I stand <laughs> on that. Also a long-winded answer. <laughs> yeah, I know, but, but a good one. Because, um, yeah, I, I, I won't, you know go down the rabbit hole of, of my own beliefs. I just, cause I, I like that you took the classes and started asking questions. Cause I feel like that's so important. Um, sometimes we grow up in these worlds, uh, you know, these bubbles where we, we are unaware of, you know, the other, uh, billions and billions of people on the, on the planet. And when you think about it, like from a global perspective, you're like, wait, Christianity only encompasses like 31% of the world. So does that mean the other like 70% right. are wrong? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I won't go down that rabbit hole. But uh, I, I'm, <laughs> what uh, if we can transition? Um, no pun intended, but like to you, what is what is coming out look like for you? <laughs> and that's 22 sounds like that would be towards the end of college, right? So what is that? What does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I was 21, turning 22 years old, um, I had already kind of had a few experiences where I was like, hmm, was this just like 
a friend crush on a person where I was just like really obsessed with this girl and I just really wanted to be friends with them and I really wanted to spend time with them and just be like them or looking back was that possibly a little something more so I had already you know over you know sophomore junior year kind of had those experiences um my senior year of college I fell absolutely head over heels in love with someone who I I mean, I would have done anything for, I would have changed my entire world for, and I did, I, I did change my entire world because coming out was never a second thought when it came to this person, just because I would have done anything to be with them. Um, so for me, it was kind of like a reverse, like we ended up getting together. Um, and it was like a, Oh, by the way, I'm in a relationship, um, to everyone that I knew. Yeah. I personally never had like a whole, I need to stay in the closet situation because it wasn't, I mean, even though, you know, I I mentioned, you know, 14 year old me having that thought and saying, oh, that's a problem for a different time. (laughs) But for me, it was, you know, as soon as I was in this relationship, I was like, oh, I guess this is what we're doing. I guess we're, we're gay now. Let's just, let's do it. Let's go. This is who I am. And if someone has a problem with it, that's, something that affects their life, not something that affects my life. I see my privilege in being able to see that well, because and, and I know that there are people out there. Yeah. It's well, it's crazy to hear that. Uh, you know, I, I have little to no experience with the Southern United States other than stereotypes. And so it, it's crazy to hear you have that mentality in an area that is like pretty widely known for being like actively against the LGBTQ community. So, it, it It is kind of insane, honestly, looking back at the situation. And um, the girl that I ended up being with at the time was kind of on the reverse end of things. She was not very comfortable with coming out. So it created this really like, I got to experience the like unfortunate side of things through yeah. her story. And I hate that for her. And it is very, I don't know where the confidence in it came from, I guess. Yeah. I just really... Maybe it's the amazing friends that I had ended up surrounding myself with at that point, or maybe it was just this like sureness in who I was, but coming out was just always, it it was a part of me. It was just as much a part of me as being 5'11 is. And it was as much a part of me as, you know, growing up in Georgia and having a rocky relationship with my mom was being queer is always just something that, as soon as I said it out loud, I was like, that is what is. And I didn't have an issue with making that happen, I guess. I, I know. I Sorry, I got a little like no, boggle-minded on that. <laughs> and I, I went through, you know, the generics for a while where it was kind of like, oh, I'm not immediately going to, you know, come out to my hairdresser when they say, um, oh, you know, do you have any hot dates that you're getting your hair done for? Any guys that you're going to see? You know, I'm not immediately going to be like, um, actually, this is for a woman. Um, it's yeah. it's one of those awkward situations where it's like, yeah, my boyfriend. And then I do like an internal cringe a little bit. Yeah. So I still kind of face the like everyday occurrences, I guess. The, yeah. the Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. So, okay. well, thank you for that. And I, I want to talk more about that role in your job but uh first I want to get to your job so you you graduate (laughs) do you get in a job right out of college in journalism uh 
five weeks out of college. Yeah, I was very, uh, very diligent on applying to places all over the country. And uh, I got my first, (laughs) that is, yes, I got, I got my first offer, literally the first offer out the gate. I said two days later, all right, let's go. And two weeks later, I moved up from you know, Gainesville area of Georgia up yeah. to northern Minnesota to Duluth, which is pretty oh close God. to the Canadian border. Yeah, I'm very familiar with Duluth. I go there for work. Um, oh, so yay. that's really funny. Yeah, that's a. Uh, I was complaining about Michigan winters. Never mind. Yeah, Duluth is a shit show. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, the 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 climatic shock that I faced. I still sometimes wonder how I survived um, negative 70 wind chills. Like yeah. I, that feels like a fever dream, honestly. That's crazy. That's crazy. So what what did you do uh, for a job there? What was your what was your title? What did you do? Um, my very first job, I was a photojournalist and multimedia journalist or multimedia reporter, um, which basically means I am in charge of everything when it comes to my stories. Um, so I would have to go shoot the stories on my own. I would come back, I would write the stories, I would edit everything, and then I would present it on air. So that is a pretty common job among first-time reporters in the industry um, because it's a very all-hands-on-deck, and it really teaches you a lot. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what I did. Was your desire always to be on camera, or were you looking into other stuff like, you know, like NPR and, and back end reporting where it's, you know, writing and not your face is not part of it? I think at first my desire was the, I'm going to become a field reporter and I'm going to move into the anchor position track. You know, okay. that was my, that was my plan. When I was preparing for this first job, you know, I had a few mentors I had made from the Atlanta area and through connections in my college program who had told me that's the way to do it, right? You're going to work your way up from a small market to a medium-sized market, and then you're going to be able to come and anchor after that. And I was pretty set, you know, early on saying, I can do that. That is definitely like, that sounds like a reasonable job. How fun to be able to, you know, get on TV every day and tell stories and, and do this and do that. And, and, uh, I, I was very solidly on that track. Um, in fact, you know, when I came to, um, or even before I came to Arkansas, like I was this, I five weeks into my job, um, in Minnesota, brand new me had the opportunity to anchor her very first newscast in front of an audience, um, which is both exciting and terrifying as someone who is so new to the job. For some reason, they said, you know, this is a girl that we can trust. Um, And I kind of jumped right into that. And that gave me a lot of really wonderful experience coming to Arkansas, where I ended up very quickly stepping into um, primarily an anchor position at the station that I was currently at, KATV, in Little Rock. Um, and I, I mean, I was doing the thing at, at 24 years old, I was anchoring newscasts, uh, which is crazy. (laughs) Yeah. It's honestly, you think about, um, the reach, like at one point I asked how many people does our morning show reach? And at any given point we could have 42,000 viewers, which compared to places like New York and, and California is, you know, a penny to a, to a $50 bill, right? Like that's nothing. But thinking about, you know, a 24 year old having that kind of exposure to 
like on television on something where they've been watching, you know, the most important information that we need in the world right now. That's a lot of power. And that's yeah. a lot of pressure to put on such a young person. <laughs> well, so I, I, I'm, let's go down that path. Cause I'm curious about that in, in so many ways. I mean, first of all, I don't, I don't know if that is like uh, crazy or not, but like, is that super remarkable? Cause it seems super remarkable to be 24 and anchoring uh, a news program in in a town like that and <laughs> i mean little rock right. city right like so that's it uh... is little rock is the is the capital city um it is but it isn't at the same time i think a lot of it especially in this industry has to do with opportunity and i've always been such a big supporter of if the opportunity is there take it like take that opportunity. And so it kind of happened to be a time and place situation around the time someone. So when I was first hired in Little Rock, I was just hired as a general assignment reporter. Like I was just hired as someone who would come in, I would work with the photographer and I would turn a regular story every single day. It just so happens that the gal who did our morning lifestyle show our traffic. She was our morning reporter and she filled in on our newscast. She happened to be leaving um, just a month later. And so without even asking, I, I literally just walked into my news director's office one day and I said, I'm going to shadow this person on this day because when she leaves, I'm going to take over her job. Maybe that was like a little bold <laughs> and assumptuous of me. Um, absolutely. It was bold and assumptuous hey, of out. me. <laughs> But, you know, to be someone who is willing to come in and say, yeah, I'm going to wake up at 2 a.m. and I am going to fill in this position. And then at the same time, COVID started happening. It honestly was just like a perfect storm of things that ended up falling into place where they got to fill a really large position. And then I also got to get a heck ton of experience that ended up almost kind of hurting me in the end because then I ended up being their fill in for almost every show for a hot minute, just because of, again, that whole perfect storm of COVID happening yeah. and the absolute chaos that hit basically every newsroom in America. Well, and, and I think the other thing that I, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about is you became a news anchor at a time when like the news media was all of a sudden this, this like enemy, right. That people had turned it like, I again I don't want to go down this road because I do not like to get political on the show but uh, <laughs> it, you know all of a sudden this this shit storm is happening uh for the last you know five years and you're you're kind of coming into this uh as I, I'm I don't mean this like as I'm saying this but I feel like people no. probably look at you yeah. as like oh who's this you know, young journalist doesn't know anything telling us what we need to like believe or think or whatever. Um, I mean, do you do, did you feel that backlash as, as an anchor? I have to read you. So I have my Facebook memories <laughs> pulled up on my phone right now. And I made a post, um, this day last year where it was a post that someone had made on the parlor app. Do you, are you familiar with the parlor app? That was a big Trump app, right? Yes, yeah. it was a big conservative app yeah. that was very anti-journalist. And yeah. the post literally said, remember, all journalists are soft targets and are fair game in the coming revolution. Don't be afraid to take reporters down by any means necessary. And that was a post that I had just kind of been like, 
I mean, I have heard, again, I am able to speak from a place of privilege knowing that I am a middle-class white woman who has strong availability to education and, and resources. So I am so lucky to be able to say that I have been able to do this job and it hasn't been, you know, so horrible and I haven't been just completely diminished by the things that people have done and said to me, but I have had just horribly shitty things said to me. Um, and it, it could be, you know, via seeing stuff on an app like that, things that have been said to me over, you know, we have our station Facebook page, things that I have had family members say to my face, which is what ended up causing such um, differences that I have with current people now and, and people that I once loved and respected, you know, from all of the very loving quote unquote Christian churches that I went to growing up who I ended up having to say, I can't see you on social media anymore because unfortunately under my position, I was not allowed to speak back. I was not allowed yeah. to really act to them. Um, and so it. For so many young journalists, especially over the past two years, oh my God, it has been the most ridiculously difficult news cycle that this country has faced in decades with the combination of, you know, COVID-19, all of these like ridiculously historical things happening with the elections, Mm. um, all of the police brutality that we've been seeing and Um, the protests that we saw that were obviously necessary, unfortunately, um, but they were. And, you know, all of these things that we've been having to cover, in addition to everyone saying, nothing you're saying is correct. Nothing you're saying has truth in it. Do you think that young journalists get paid enough to lie to you? Because we don't. <laughs> we do not get paid enough to make up stories and lie to you guys. And so it's it's burnt out so many young reporters who thought that they were coming into something that was well-respected and that they were passionate about and that they would be able to make a difference with. But from the inside and from the outside, on both political parties, people have you know guns blazing pointing to them and it's yeah. really burning out a lot of young reporters way earlier than any other cycle of journalists that we've seen in years. Yeah. And it's got to be additionally stressful, like, because because you can't talk about it, right? Because you have to, especially in this time, you have to, like, at least seem as as impartial as possible and and report the news and not like, you know, not not MSNBC or Fox News it, but just like as impartial as possible. (laughs) And that's got to be just this added stress at a time when like you're already just fighting half the population on (laughs) facts. It's, um, it's a really big reason why I ended up deciding to leave. Um, the past two years really has helped me see that unfortunately, maybe I wasn't cut out to be a journalist and maybe I am cut out to be an activist. If speaking up to the things that are injustice and things that are wrong in this country makes me an activist, then that's what I want to be. I don't want to be impartial and I don't, you know, it not being able to speak my mind on human rights, like LGBT, black lives matter, women's rights, and all these things that should not be political, but I truly believe are just human rights. 
not being able to speak my mind and being persecuted because of those things or being persecuted because I was telling the stories of those individuals, that's not a realm I wanted to be a part of. And although I think that that is the fight that needs to be had, maybe I was not the person strong enough to do that. And so it played a very, very big part in me leaving the industry as a whole, because I just didn't feel like I was going to be able to make the impact that I felt was necessary during this day and age. Do you think, uh, and and obviously you just, you just left that contract. So you're, you're fresh out of it, but (laughs) I'm wondering if you think there's other, um, venues in journalism where you can do that stuff in a, in an impactful and meaningful way. And I, I mean, I, I know we we're just joking about, you know, MSNBC and Fox news and like there are, <laughs> it seems there are like only extremes or like dead center stuff, but I'm wondering, you know, when I think about stuff like that and I think about people like Rachel Maddow, right? Like people that are, mm-hmm. do have the ability to kind of speak their mind uh, while also informing people in, in somewhat of an activist manner while still being a journalist. And is that mm-hmm. something that interests you or are you looking to get away from it altogether? It definitely does. Um, I think that where there are extremes, you, you know, like you, you're mentioning the extreme, you know, um, um, news organizations that have a very clear bias. Um, Those exist out there. They do. They absolutely do. But then I also think that there is such a power in the individual. You mentioned Rachel Maddow. Or honestly, that's an extreme too. I mean, it it, it, it is. It it is in a sense. But I think there's such an extreme like power in the individual journalist these days, whether that be an individual, just a young journalist working in local news or whether it be an independent like um, V under the desk news on TikTok, one of my favorite uh, people to mention, um, V Spehar, I think is how you say their last name, just kind of came on and over the past year has just been telling the news for the most part. And they're not associated with any organization. Well, they have the LA Times now, but prior to that, they were not associated with any specific organization. I think that there's just a power in coming on and telling things as it is, but also standing up for the things that matter. And that power is going to lie in individuals. It's not going to lie in corporations. My personal thought is that at the end of the day, a lot of these big news corporations are still businesses. You know how people always talk about how colleges and universities at the end of the day are still businesses. And so that's why a lot of times it doesn't seem like they're, teaching students but what they're doing is they're making money at the end of the day a lot of these news organizations are making money and they're going to unfortunately have to do what it takes to make the money and to get the viewers and to maintain ratings so i think it's going to take a lot of just ethical and moral individuals coming together to truly say i want to tell real stories i think that that does exist out there and i think that there is for me personally, yes, that is an avenue, an avenue that I would love to see myself be able to pursue yeah. um, someday. But I think it's also going to, you know, it's going to have to be an avenue that says it doesn't matter if they're supporting human rights. It doesn't matter if they have tattoos on their body. It doesn't matter if they are gay, straight, queer, lesbian, transgender, if they have purple hair, if they wear a hijab, if they 
have tattoos on their face for for you know religious or um you know ethnic purposes that none of that stuff should matter and when we can start looking past all of that ridiculousness and just let a person tell a person's story that is when i think people are going to be able to come back to it and that's when i'm going to feel comfortable coming back to it and i don't think that that's going to be anytime soon mm-hmm. <laughs> um i could go in my soapbox going yeah. in circles on that forever so well, i'm going to be quiet now <laughs> it's i mean and it's kind of it's funny it's full circle in a way just because that i mean that's what this show is like this is i think everybody has a story to tell and i I love giving people the outlet to do so and Mm -hmm. and also taking stigma away from from trauma and sexuality and all all the stuff that people get really wrapped up in and and stigmatize and i think opening that opening that up is super important but um absolutely I, I want to touch on one more thing before we start to wrap it up here. But yeah. as a as someone that was queer in the South as a journalist, like and and with the following that you have via TikTok and and other social media, you know, you are uh, whether you like it or not, you're you're kind of like a, a representative in some way, right? Um, have mm-hmm. you felt that pressure, and what has that been like to be in that role? I'm taking my my pregnant pause to ponder and think about the question truthfully. Um, I have felt the pressure. First of all, let me say, because I think there's a very big stereotype on a lot of people thinking like, oh, I came out and, um, you know, that was an issue in Arkansas and, and blah, blah, blah. It really wasn't. It truthfully didn't impact my job that much. Um, if anything, I had more people when I would be working on stories come to me and say, Hey, I actually follow you on TikTok. Keep doing what you're doing. Like, I love that you're showing this kind of like behind the scenes, like humanizing standpoint of a job that so many people only see robotic clones of each other with, you know? And so I I feel very grateful for that. I know when I was, I think maybe back in August, I was freaking out because I knew I was coming to the end of my contract at KATV and I was just really racking my brain. Every single day I would come into work and I was like, maybe this is what I can do. Maybe I can join the Air Force. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do that. And I was just like, what the hell am I going to do? And I had a friend basically tell me the same thing. You know, they said, you are one of the only people in Arkansas who I can remember growing up who is a out and open LGBT representative in this state, in a state where it is so demonized and so many people shut down that side of things. Think of the impact you could have, you know, if you stayed somewhere like Arkansas or somewhere in the South that needs that representation. Like, yeah, you can go have a fine and hunky-dory life living in Chicago or California or, you know, bebopping around somewhere. And you can make an impact and a difference in those places too. But the impact that you have in a place like this is unparalleled. And I did feel the pressure from that. I did. And what ended up coming to mind for me is that I can't be the best representation for other people until I'm able to become the best representation and best version of myself and for myself. 
And because of that, I have spent so much time, you know, I had my little brief stint up in Northern Minnesota. Duluth is wonderful. You know, they're a great little bubble of safety, but being, you know, in Georgia and Arkansas for the majority of my time alive, I have only been in this unfortunate community that is still surrounded by outdated kind of traditions and they're not quite as accepting. And so I think what I need to go experience is a world out there that has this like openness and love for members of the LGBT community and where I can, you know, just, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to walk down. I'm not going to live on like gay street USA. Like, I don't think that that's a possibility or that if that even exists, if it does, I I would love to know. I'm sure it does. It's in New Orleans. It's an amazing place. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Honestly, somewhere, but like to go somewhere and kind of feel that for a while, but then be able to experience that just true openness and love and then bring that back to a place like Arkansas or to a place like Georgia where I'm from and show that to people and show people that that exists, that does exist. I think that that's a very big possibility that I would be interested in exploring. So I do feel that pressure. Absolutely. Um, And I just think that there is still so much growth for me to have before I can really and truthfully say, you know, this is what I'm, I am leading the revolution here, right? (laughs) I'm still 26. I still have to grow and, you know, I, I, I'm still going to try and be a leader in as many avenues as possible. But for right now, being a leader means showing people that we can change our paths and we can grow and we can dream and we can expand no matter what age we are and no matter what other people think of us. Yeah. And that's, that's a great answer. Um, and I think it takes a, a good level of self-awareness to admit that like you need to grow, uh, in any capacity. So, so bravo to that. But, uh, I want to, so you just, like you just mentioned, you're 26. Uh, you, you went into college thinking I'm going to be the head of the FBI. You, you've been uh, a (laughs) successful young anchor, uh, on, on, on a morning show. You, you have this, I can do it confidence about you, uh, that, given like some of your your past relationships with your parents and um some of the difficulties you went through as a teenager where does that come from where does that that uh, belief in yourself come from and 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 is there a pill form that you can ship to me is there um (laughs) but like where yeah where does that like where do you think that comes from oh my god what a good question wow i'm like I'm hardly a speechless person, but wow, that question just made my hands sweaty a little bit. I don't know why. Um, Mission accomplished. I was like, I wrote yeah, down sweaty job. hands, check mark right there. Justin, <laughs> you absolutely crushed it. Yeah, that was on the bingo card and you crossed it off. Perfect. Um, where does it come from? Well, um, I, God, I, I always think about, I want to be a parent one day, very, very, very badly. Um, I don't know how or in what capacity. I don't know. I have no idea what that looks like. Again, that's, that's far beyond where I am at this very moment in time. I don't even know what I'm eating for dinner at this point, (laughs) but I, 
I know that one day I want to be a part of raising a wonderful family and child or, or, or the people around me. I, I want to touch people around me in some capacity, mentor some kind of people around me that grow up with the confidence to know that they are enough to change the world. And I was so deprived of that within my relationships with my family as a child. And the way that I just felt, everyone feels alone at some point in their life, but no one deserves to feel like their dreams don't matter. And I think about the impact I just want to have on younger people in knowing that their dreams do matter, they can change the world, and they can go and do any fucking thing that they want to do. I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss. Oh, I've um, said fuck a number do... of times already. You're fine. Oh, great. <laughs> they can do any fucking thing they want to do. Yeah. Honest to God, like you can do what you. I mean, again, I'm going to recognize my privilege one more time, and I know I've said that, but like I know within parameters there are things, but there are so many opportunities in this world. Yeah. If you have the confidence to pursue them and stand up to people who are doing you wrong. And there is this something inside of me that says, start turning into that person now so that you can be that example for that young person, whoever it is later. And to show people who maybe didn't have the person that said your dreams are important and your place in this world is important. Like, it's just so important for me to see other people living this life that we are in to their fullest capacity, because this is awesome. This world kind of sucks, but it also is kind of awesome at the same time. And to be able to just go out and experience it and know that you're allowed to like fuck up, like you can fall and there's probably going to be a net there. I'll be the net. I'll be the net for people if they need it. I just want, someone else to know that that exists. And I didn't necessarily have someone there to show that to me. So I kind of just created her within myself. And I said, God, I'm going to be my own inspiration. And I hope to God that it encourages someone else out there to have it from a young age and not have to like brutally find that within themselves. So that was like super hippy dippy and kind of like a little bit didn't make sense. But like that's who she is. It's it's the it's it's my insides, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I uh, I can appreciate that, and it, it's amazing that you're able to conjure up that uh, encouraging voice inside your head for so many people. It's hard to shut up the voice inside your head that's telling you you can't do something. So to have the opposite going on. Um, you know, good for you. And that's, that's something I hope you carry with you forward into whatever your next endeavor may be. Um, I think I covered everything, but is there anything I didn't mention you wanted to talk about? I don't think so. Um, you know, I am just kind of in this weird place right now where I'm about to embark on a, on a backpacking trip through Europe. And I am, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. You know, I'm unemployed right now. Like I said, I just kind of left news and I'm very much in a place where opportunities are going to arise and I'm going to take them. Um, I wrote down your quote, take the opportunity, (laughs) take the opportunity. Yes. Yes. And I, 
I am taking this opportunity and time to go travel. Um, hopefully then graduate school might be next for me as well, but there's, there's a, it, really, I'm just kind of like hoping people want to follow along in this weird journey of me being a 26 year old and figuring out my life, just like every other 26 year old in their life. Um, and I'm just trying to, I'm trying to normalize it a little bit more, you know, yeah. everyone's, everyone's looking for their place in the world. And so that's, I just hope that, uh, people know that they don't have to do it alone. And that's my final little bow on top of everything I've had to say. Well, that is a beautiful sentiment. And people can follow along your journey uh, at Victoria Capek. Is that Victoria correct? Victoria A. Capek. Oh, yes. God, there's an A in there. there and Victoria's with a K. There's an extra A, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. So make sure we spell it out. It's at oh, yeah, Victoria be... A. Capek. Um, it'll be tagged in the show on... notes and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful, yeah. TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. I don't really get on Twitter anymore, but you know, if you do more power to you. <laughs> uh, I look forward to following that journey. Uh, I have one last fun question. Um, okay. Is it as easy to fuck with people with teleprompters as it looks like it is when you're looking at oh, movies? Yes, it is. It, honestly. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Don't even get me started on like mm, teleprompters. I would we get can fired have our whole, so quickly. Our own episode about that, Justin. <laughs> Well, that answers that. Uh, well, thank you so much. Seriously, this this is great. Uh, you're you're an inspiring, wonderful person, and I'm glad that uh, I got to talk to you and share your story you with all, all the yeah. audience here. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right, you just listened to my interview with Victoria Kapek. Victoria A. Kapek, if you're following her online. Uh, she has, like, you know, she's one of those people, I don't know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers on, on TikTok and Instagram. And um, just has, uh, her content originally drew me in because she would do these, like, TikToks from the, from the newsroom. And so you'd see her, like, doing her news persona and then camera would cut out so she'd go back to the phone screen and be like oh hey guys and like, this is so interesting and and i'm gonna miss some of that but it's all still up if you guys want to watch that and i'm excited to follow her on her backpacking journey in europe especially during covid like what does that even look like so i'm excited to see that and yeah i i really appreciate her views on religion on being an activist, uh, being queer in the public eye in, in the South. Like, I just thought this was so good. Uh, and it was really nice to sit down and talk with her. And I hope that we stay in touch. And I hope that you guys got a lot out of this. Um, I know, I know what you guys uh, like and listen to and some of the questions you've asked and some of the more popular episodes cover some of these topics. So I, I hope this was everything that uh, I think it had the potential to be. And without anything else, I'm going to say goodbye, and I love you, and I will talk to you next week. I hope you guys are having a great month, and God, I can't believe I'm only 11 interviews away from my 100th interview. That's crazy, right? That's crazy. I think I know who it's going to be. I'm not going to tell you, though. Okay. <laughs> Cliffhanger. All right. I will talk to you guys next week. I love you. Bye-bye.